chapter 1. Um, what, a, what an awesome thing uh, as, as we're watching. Uh, each and every day, God is speaking. The magnitude of the creation should bring you and I to the same place. You should see God in all his awesomeness. I mean, he is an awesome God. Somebody say awesome. Awesome. God is awesome, and he's done this wonderful, wonderful work of creation every day. And so I come to the text tonight just like, Lord, what are you going to show me? And I just worship you. You're so good. You're so great. So that's our approach tonight. So let's ask God's blessing before we get in the word. Father, thank you for our Bibles as we open them and prepare, Lord, to read from your word. We're anxious, Lord, to hear uh, the truth from your scriptures. Lord, we've heard so much. Uh, we're inundated in our culture with, with uh, evolution. And, and Lord, uh, some of us are really unsure of how to, to, to process all of that uh, with, with academia just uh, pushing and, and uh, supporting those things about the billions and billions of years that really add nothing to kinds and changes but Lord, we come to your word and we see that you're speaking with all your power, your divine fiat. And, and Lord, it puts wonder and awe in our hearts. And I really pray, Lord, that the end result of our study through this first and second chapter of Genesis, that we would just be greater worshipers, that we'd approach you, Lord, with awe, that we'd see you as all-powerful, that we, in light of our problems and struggles and trials, in light of your awesomeness, Lord, are, are nothing. You have, you have all authority. And so, Lord, we come this morning or this evening to worship. So reveal to us your word, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Again, this wonderful historical account of the creation story is so, so good. That word I want to keep planting in your brain, the ineffable glory, ineffable glory of God or awesome uh, who he is. So let's kind of run really quick from the beginning again in Genesis 1.1, and my notes will kind of reflect this. Day one should show up right now. Day one, uh, God creates light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God spoke, or he said, let there be light. And there was. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. The darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. Day two, we have separation of waters in verse 6. Then God spoke again. Let there be a firmament or that little slice, that sliver of division in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Again, the division of the water from below on the earth, from above in the atmosphere, and uh, that, that water that went out into space as well. It's kind of a beautiful thought there. But, but uh, under the water, right now the earth, God's hovering over the water. There's earth there, but it's just water. There's no land. There's no dry land there. Day three, we get earth, water, and plants God speaks, verse 9, and dry land appears. God said, let the water under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So again, day 3, a single continent rises out of the water covering the whole earth. So we have most of the earth is water, then you have a single continent there, and then God on that single continent, and again, remember how the 
Nations fit together geographically. Our, our world kind of fits together. If you would to squeeze it together in your brain, you can see how it would fit together. And then God creates plants and trees. Verse 11, God spoke again, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb the, that yields seed and fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, whose seed in, in itself on the earth, and it was so. So again, the reproduction cycle, seeds reproducing after their own kind. God establishes that right here in day three. And then last week we looked at day four. Day four was fantastic. The, all the luminaries in the heavens, all the galaxies, all the stars, the stars that hang in the, the, the universe just out there. Uh, day four, again, my notes behind me, sun, moon, and stars. Verse 14, then God spoke. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God, verse 16, made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Remember my little comment about that? And then he made the stars also. I love that. And then God set them, verse 17, in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and the rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So again, God's power. No one has the power that God has. He has ultimate power, all authority, and he's speaking. And all these lights and galaxies and clusters of lights in the galaxies, can you count them? How many are out there in, the, uh, in, this, in, this, in space? How far does space go? Do you ever wonder how big creation is? I mean, I, I wonder all those things, but my mind can't wrap itself around it. So, so what do we do as, as finite humans? We just go, you're awesome, God. Ineffable glory. You just, that's our response. Oh, wow. It should be that. Your eyes should get big. Your brain should expand. And you say, God is so awesome. I showed you some pictures last week. Here's one behind me. This was from the Spitzer Telescope. And, oh, well, this one is. And this just shows the proximity from the sun, four light years away, 186,000 miles per second. You know, I don't know how many trillion miles that is. Or it's just way out there. But uh, 670 million miles per hour. That's pretty fast. So that's how fast a, a, a beam of light travels. And it takes four years to get to our closest star, Proxima Centauri. And again, hundreds of billions of stars and 50 billion galaxies, and they can't even count them all. Because remember last week I showed you that little picture, the Australian radio telescope was looking through the Milky Way, and they saw more. There's more and more and more. They, the more farther they look, the more they're going to find the vastness of the solar system. Again, somebody say, wow. I mean, really, think about it. That's, that's, that should really expand our hearts and minds. And, and God is so big and, and so marvelous. So day four, God creates sun, moon, and stars. And then that little phrase, like I said at the end of verse 16, he, he made the stars also. He makes the sun and moon and, oh, yeah, throw some stars out there. So our sun. Again, note, here's a picture of the sun uh, behind me. The sun is made up of hydrogen and nitrogen, or helium, pardon me, most of it's, it's uh, hydrogen, three-quarters of it, and it just burns and burns. And the, the core of the sun is, is hotter than the exterior, but it's just really hot and it's burning. Four million tons of matter per second at 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists believe it's going to burn for about 130 million years, so don't worry. 
130 million. I don't know how they figured that out, but it's, it's, I, I, I looked up, up on JPL's website just to see. The light from the sun traveling again at 186,000 miles per second takes eight and a half minutes to get to the earth. And the other day, in the mountains, it's cold in the winter. And so I was studying. It was Friday, I believe. I'm studying, and the door opened and closed, and I was sitting there at my computer, and I looked at Esther and went outside. What's she doing out there? And she's standing in the sun because it's cold, you know, in the mountains. It's cooler than here. So we, we'll do that. We'll go out and stand in the sun. And she's, <laughs> she's out there standing. And, and I, said, I was thinking that day, I said, I wonder how long it takes the light from the sun to get to you. It's eight and a half minutes from the time it's, it comes from the sun. That's how long it takes because we're that far away. But kind of interesting, again, the sun... Um, uh, heats the earth, but the earth is on its axis, 26 degrees, 20, Steve knows, you can ask him, 23 degrees, and that creates seasons. So we, from the seasons, we get different crops and cycles in the earth, and God, per, he, he made it perfect. He did everything the way he wanted it to be, so that this earth would be prepared for man. Man comes, and, and he's created in God's image at the end of day six. We'll get to the middle of day six today, tonight, and then we'll jump into that when I get back. So we'll do the creation of man. We'll specifically look at how man is made in the image of God. Fascinating again. You should read ahead and look ahead and pray ahead uh, to where we're going. But again, all of this um, should make you wonder in awe of how great God is. And if you don't, Christian, if you don't, this is what you're doing. If you don't see that as awe, and if that doesn't expand your mind and you just kind of, you know, whatever, at the end of the study, you're robbing God of his glory. You really are. You should just go, wow, God, you are so awesome, and, and get lost in how vast and how big he is. That's, that really should be your response. We need to, to worship him. If we join with evolutionists and say, oh, it was billions of years, and we've devalued God, we're robbing him of his glory, in my opinion. And I, I think it's really important that we have the right response and worship. So tonight, day five, here's my next point. Day five, sea creatures and birds. Really interesting. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures. You may have a, uh, another rendition that says monsters. And every living thing that moves, with which the waters abound, according to their kind. You get the idea that now the, the sea is writhing with life. That's, that's what's the abundance here. Their water's abounding and the great sea creatures and the water's abound with everything according to their kind. And then every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them. And he said, notice this, be fruitful and multiply. Where have you heard that before? Think about that reproduction and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, again, at the beginning of the fifth day, we get the same method of creation that we've seen. God speaks. He speaks, and things are created. God said there in verse 20, God speaks and non-existent things 
things that have never existed before come into existence. Let the water abound with abundance of living creatures, is what the scripture says. Again, to abound with abundance here, the the Hebrew word is sharats. It means movement or swift. And this word here, abound or abundance, really the way in the Hebrew it's written, let the waters shirats with shirats. Let it, let it move with swiftness and move. And so God is, he's, he's not creating one fish that's going to create and, and mutate into something else. He's creating lots of fish all over the waters, every variety of fish, large and small, with his spoken voice, boom, and the water is just moving. It's fr- that's what the scripture is saying. It's abounding. It's, it's abundant of living creatures there, wiggling and swimming and crisscrossing in every direction. I love that thought. So, so here you have, on day two, the waters are separated but inanimate, nothing in them, still. The, wa- the earth comes out on day three, and now God's preparing, preparing. He's brooding over this. He's overseeing it. He's superseding it slowly. It's emerging, emerging. And, and he's now got this created world that can sustain plant life and trees and now animal life in the, in the waters and the birds above. So it's a beautiful, beautiful picture here. All the waters of the earth are teeming with life on day five. The, all the freshwater fish are living and alive. All the saltwater creatures are living and alive, swimming everywhere. The... Hebrew for living creatures at the end of verse 20 there, or the middle of verse 20, is nephesh, nephesh, and that means life, and it's used for the very first time right here in this verse. So up until now, you have inanimate life like, like plants. Plants just grow and they die. They grow and they die, and they grow and they give seeds and they die. They, they don't respond to you when you talk to them. You might talk to your plants. Do you talk to your plants? It was a big deal, you know, chia pets and see people were talking to their plants, you know, when I was growing up. But, but they don't. Plants, there's no personality there. They're, they're, they, they just do what they do and then they die. But now God's creating life. These are animals that have life in them. Not like man. They don't have personality. They don't respond like we do in terms of how we respond to one another. Knowledge, personality, interaction. I mean, uh, little Fifi, your, your cat, you may think that your cat has a personality like nobody else, and that's why you call her Fifi, but it's just a cat, right? And animals are different than man. That's all I'm trying to say here. There's no self-consciousness. There's only instinct in an animal. Think about it. I don't want to be offensive. And cat people always get offended at this. Dog people, not so much, <laughs> but cat people... Oh, my little pee-pee. But, but if you think about it, they're just, they're just act instinctively. They function like the rest of their species. That's how God designed them to be. You can put a little coat on your cat or a little tie on your dog, but they're still a dog. You, you can think that they have this fun little personality, and, and some are a little faster than others, but they're just Animals, that's all they are. But this word nephesh, all it means, all it means is they're distinguished from plants and they have life. They don't have a soul. Animals do not have a soul. 
Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know about that, Pat. They don't. They don't. So they're, they're not self-conscious. They act instinctively. So when God created fish and eels and mammals and whales and dolphins and even plankton, that's what he's made here. Everything that's, it's got life in it. Its cells are crying out for life. I'm going to talk to you about A.E. Wildersmith, who was here 25 years ago or so, 20 years ago. Uh, one of the world's foremost scientists was standing right here in this pulpit. I'll tell you what he said uh, about life and how life, every cell wants to live in you. This is what God is talking about. This word nephesh here, this, these animals have this life in them. So when God created all of that, there was no evolutionary process. That's what I believe you're supposed to understand here, that he made all the different kinds the way they were. They didn't change. There's no mutation but they just were made. They were living, niffish creatures that began to swim. They didn't randomly organize into higher life forms or mutate to other species here. So verse 20 says a very similar things at the end of it, verse 20, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. The word fly in the Hebrew is uf, it's oaf or, or free flight or hover. I've got this little picture here. I've got some pictures to show you tonight. The, the top picture is a swarm of birds. You've seen swarms of birds before. So you can, you can see them in patterns. And they fly around. I just, that's, the, the bottom picture is, is really interesting. That's, that bird is the bar-tailed godwit. It flies over 7,000 miles nonstop every year from Alaska to New Zealand and back. Every year, without stopping, it flies. They, they, you know, put a radio on it. You know, poor little bird's got to carry a radio like a GoPro, you know. And, and it flies all the way down to New England, and I mean to New Zealand and back, 7,100 miles nonstop without taking a break for food. The bird's wing is light and has hollow bones and feathers. God created that animal specifically to fly. Everything about the, the animal itself was designed by God to fly. And, and, and we copy that. I don't know if you're into flying. I am into flying. I'm all about flying. I love flying. In fact, I'm going to show you a picture of me flying. Here you go. Hi. That's just right up here on Crestline. And here, I'm going to show you a video. I, I, I'm going to stick this in one of my studies. Here we go. Watch this video. This is just a real quick one. This is me landing right here. And it's really short. Now, if you, if you don't land right, you, you whack and it, you crash, and it's called whacking. And well, I didn't show you that one, did I? I'm too proud. I'm not going to show you that one. I'm sure. <laughs> But man has always wanted to fly. And guess what? Man studied birds. And we've been studying birds and, and creating these light structures with, like birds have hollow bones. God made their feathers special to, 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 uh, and their wing is designed a certain way. So man has done the same thing. Now we have air travel that can take us from LAX to wherever. 
you know, 10 hours, 12 hours in the air, you can get to New Zealand, or you can go to Tokyo, or you can go to Israel, or wherever you go. But even planes are structured after God's design for flight. Very interesting. My little hang glider, same idea. There's, there's a lot of the same idea going on with the hang glider. So man's desire to fly, uh, to fly emulates God's nature and the way he's created birds. I just thought that was fun to show you. Now notice verse 21. This is fascinating. God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves. Now, the great sea creatures there, the word great is gadol in the Hebrew. It means greatest or the largest in magnitude. And so we're talking about something that's very big. It's not just big. This is great. This is the the word in the Hebrew that means large. And then tanin, tanin is sea creatures there, or serpent or whale or sea monster. I'm not sure what your uh, translation is. You might have New King James, or well, that's what I read out of. NIV, some other translations might have. I've seen sea creatures in some of, of the translations in the Bible. And very interesting, have you ever wondered why God mentions in this verse a specific animal? He mentions this specific animal right here. But back in verse 12, he just says trees and plants. He didn't say trees and redwoods. Now, that would have been impressive, right? Redwoods? You ever seen a redwood? Wow. I mean, just huge, massive bottom, and they go up 200 feet in the air with, with some of their branches are bigger than any tree on our mountain here. Massive trees. But he didn't mention that. He mentions, a, he mentions this creature, this large, uh, huge creature here in verse 21. Now, the great sea creature here in verse 21. Why did he mention that? And I'm going to show you some verses that will indicate other great creatures that we don't see today, but they're in the Scripture. Leviathan is mentioned in the Bible. Leviathan, if you, for those of you that read the Scriptures, you've heard this before, sea monsters, Leviathan, behemoth. Those are the three that you'll see in the scriptures. What are they? I'm going to show you some things about that because I think it's interesting. In Job 41, Job 41, God is speaking to Job. And, and Job is, is heard and he's broken and God is speaking to him and, and, and Job is like questioning God. And, and it's like God walks up to Job and says, who are you to ask me, the creator of everything, these questions. And then God says, out of his mouth go about this creature. Out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire, shoot out smoke, goes out of his nostrils, a boiling pot, the burning rushes, his breath kindles coals. Sounds like a monster, right? Sounds like a dragon, right? I mean, when you read that. And so Job is asking God, and then God says, who are you? Were you there to catch this animal? Did you create this animal? And then he describes the animal in Job 41.19. And also in Psalm 104, verse 26, this is an interesting uh, There are ships that sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play in the sea, this Leviathan out in the sea, Psalm 104. So what is this Leviathan here? Some describe it as an alligator or a crocodile. It would have been a really big one. Some believe, and I believe it was some kind of seagoing, some kind of seagoing dinosaur, big, massive animal in the sea that God created. 
And we have land dinosaurs described. In Job 41, there's one named Behemoth. Here's a verse here, Job 41, or verse, chapter 40, verse 15. Look now at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips. So this is dinosaurs. They stand up. They're big creatures. They stand up. They have big, these big hips. And his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. You think about that. I've got a picture. Let me show you this picture behind me. This is a bronchiosaurus. There are actually bones that they found. You go to natural history museums, you'll see pictures, and sometimes a jawbone or neck bones or ankle bones, whatever, and they put together these massive um, uh, dinosaurs. This is a bronchiosaurus picture here. The Leviathan lived in the sea. And here's a verse that I really like, Isaiah 27, 1. Listen to this, or watch this verse on the screen. In that day, the Lord, with his, uh, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan. And notice what it's called, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile is in the sea, or that is in the sea. So, Here's a description of a kind of a twisting, writhing, snake-like sea creature. That's why I think it's more of a sea creature here. Uh, twisting, fleeing serpent in the sea. So here's the question. I, we, we talk about sea creatures and behemoths and leviathans in the Bible. Because those come up all the time when you teach this. That's why I'm bringing them up now. Where are they? What happened to them? The answer is obvious. They They died. Why did they die? Well, number one, because of the curse. Since the curse, everything started dying. When God created at this point in time in, in Genesis chapter 1, there's no curse. Everything's perfect. Nothing's dying. Everything got along. But because of the curse, then we had death introduced. So number one, it's because of the curse. Number two, because of the environment, because of the habitat change, maybe um, there wasn't enough food. They overate. They overgrazed in an area because of the curse again. There wasn't enough food for them to eat. Those are all viable answers to why or what happened to the behemoths and leviathans. I kind of think that they're out in Cabazon. Have you ever driven down the tent? <laughs> Big old Tyrannosaurus is out there. Okay. The truth is, there's a fossil record. Have you ever been in Dinosaur National Monument in Utah? Anybody in here ever been there? Okay, one, two, three, four, so a couple of... You go there, and you can actually see, the, you can see real dinosaur bones in the rocks. You, you can see it. You can go on the web tonight and check it out. I love Utah, by the way. It's one of my favorite vacations, Bryce and Zion National Park. We've been there a million times with our family. But Dinosaur National Park, you can see them right in the side of the wall, um, the, the fossil record is very clear. Paleontology, the study, the fossil record. Um, this is one of the dinosaurs you'll see if you go there. This one down here on the bottom there. You see the woman with the, the head of the dinosaur, and then there's the picture of the whole dinosaur there below. That is an Allosaurus. Allosaurus is what that is, and that's there at Dinosaur National Monument in Utah. You can actually go see the bones of that one, the fossil record. So 
getting back to the scripture, the whole idea here is that God's creating this multiplicity of animals, the variety, the kinds. They're all, all these different animals, and they included the sea monster, the dragon, the behemoth, and leviathans. They're just not around anymore. But we have a fossil record that shows you these large creatures. They found another one just recently. I was watching the news a couple of weeks ago, and they found this other one that was bigger than a bron bronchiosaurus. So I've heard a little bit about They show a guy laying by like a, a, a toe bone that's massive as long as a man. I mean, it was a, a large creature, 10 times the size of an elephant. Uh, but they're finding these bones. They keep finding these things all over. Paleontologists find them all over the place. Now, God created all these sea creatures and birds. Look at verse 21. According to its kind, and then it says, and God saw that it was good. Remember when you see that phrase, that means it's done. There's no mutations. There's no extra additions. There's nothing needed. God made it the way it was, and he said, it's good. It's done. That's what I wanted it to be. That verse or that word becomes very important when you're describing the creation of God. Now think about the diversity of sea life, all of the different birds and all the uniqueness and the complexity of each one, the large, the small, the big goonie birds and the small little you know, uh, hummingbirds. We've got a couple out here in front of the church. Every year they, they nest in the cypress trees right in front of our church and Barbara puts out her little hummingbird feeder and so we have some... You might have seen them, you know, on Facebook because we put pictures of them out there. She loves these little hummingbirds. But you have the little hummingbirds, and then you have the big birds, and the, the variety is what I'm trying to say. All of those things, this variety and the uniqueness and the complexity of a, a bird and its wings and how it flies and a, a huge dinosaur that thumps around on the ground, on the earth, the complexity of all those animals argues this. A creator made all these individual animals distinctly different, and they all procreate after their kind. That's what the scripture teaches us here. Life didn't come from a primordial cell. It came from a designer. There's, there's beautiful design. And when emulated, like flight, that's why I did the flight. You know, you might go, big deal, Pastor Lee. That's why I emulate it, because when you emulate creation, Velcro, there's all kinds of things that came from nature that we use now. Uh, but flight is one of those things emulated, looked at birds in flight, and now we have airplanes that fly. God's the designer of all those things. And God created all of these life forms so that they would reproduce after their kinds. Verse 22, look at this. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. So that's God's universal uh, approval of, of procreation, be fruitful and multiply. He said that to Adam and Eve. He said that to the, the animals, life. Life is going to beget life. And that's what we see uh, in the scriptures here, this, this, this statement about reproduction. God speaks his creation by command, by will, by fiat. He speaks it into existence from the largest leviathan dinosaur to the smallest microbe living cell, all of it. He spoke it into existence. I showed you the DNA. Here's the, the um, chart here, the DNA. Dioxyribonucleic acid. I have it. You should see how I've written that out on my notes here so I can say it right. The DNA. DNA carries the life code of every living organism. The reason it's like it is is because the DNA tells it what to be. 
how big to be, how small to be, how to, use, how to see, how, to, how the spinal cord is going to develop as an as a infant to a, a mature. It's just all there in DNA. And God put all that information in every single cell of all of these animals in diversity. So last week we looked at the, the cosmos and saw how big and vast it was. Now we're looking again at life and every bit of life has DNA. Again, God is the creator of all these things, every living cell, and it all reproduces after its own kind. God blessed it, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. So that was God's universal go for it, reproduce. Now, not only that, but every cell in your body, every cell and every living thing wants to live. It just it desires to live. And here's my info on that. A.E. Wildersmith. Again, I, th I think he was here in 1992. I can't remember. And I explained this to you a few weeks ago. But A.E. Wildersmith was here. And Chuck Smith had brought him from, from England. He spoke at Calvary, Costa Mesa, and at some other churches. Pastor John asked him to come here. He came on a Sunday night. And, you know, after he got from here to here, sat down, in very frail, late 80s, he opened his mouth, and it just he, he, this guy has four earned degrees in microbiology and all this stuff. I mean, the guy is just out there. <clears throat> he developed certain things in World War II. He was a, a leading scientist in the world against chemical warfare and biolog biological warfare uh, used by, by Japan and, and uh, Nazi and probably even America. But he was, he was the foremost uh, uh, um scientist in that area. Well, he came and he talked about life and the cell and God's creation. And this is what he said. He talked about the, the von Neumann machine. Now, the von Neumann machine is that which in every cell or all living organisms have these three different proper properties about them. Each organism has this self-sustaining chemistry in it. In other words, it just doesn't die out. It wants to sustain. It wants to live. It's called the Von, V-O-N, and then his name, Neumann, N-E-U-M-A-N-N. Von Neumann machine is how it's promoted. And I remember him standing here, and he talked about a rabbit. You take the rabbit, and there's a British accent, and all the cells in this rabbit and he broke it down to, this, to, to the smallest element, the smallest chemistry, of, uh, the smallest cell in your body that has this desire to self-sustain. The second area, uh, the, third, or the second property is that of the von Neumann machine is that it wants to self-repair. If you cut your skin, you'll, it'll bleed, and then the, your body starts to heal itself, right? The, the older you get, the less that happens, right? You bleed more. But, but your body wants to live, and all those cells want to live, and there's that property there, the von Neumann machine. It's God's put that in there, in, in every living creature, self-sustaining, self-repairing, and then self-reproducing. Now, think about this. That's what this von Neumann machine does, self-sustaining, self-repairing, self-producing. Computers do a lot. They, they do a lot, but... They can only sustain for a certain amount of time, and then they're going to break down. Heat's going to break them down, uh, or they can't fix themselves. They need intervention. They, they'll go so far, they can't self-repair. They can't self-reproduce. They can't. 
And I know there's scientists say, in the future, there'll be these computers that can do all those things. You hear that, but they can't. And I don't believe they will because God has put within the human cell and the cell of life, every living thing, this principle, von Neumann brings it out. Wilder Smith was here. and when he, I remember just sitting there going, this guy is really way too smart. I mean, I, I loved it. And, and you should look, at, look him up and read some about Wilder Smith or the von Neumann machine. But every little DNA strip in every cell of every creature comes with that capability. And God just said this, be fruitful and multiply. Just continue on. Continue what you Continue self-sustaining, continue self-reproduction, and continue self-repair. He just said, be fruitful and multiply. I love that. Again, somebody say amen. amen. Again, we're thinking about God and his awesome work I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's awesome. Now, sea creatures and birds. Now we get to day six, verse 24, land animals. So we've moved from, um, from the sea creatures and the birds to land animals. Verse 24, then God spoke again on day six here. Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Cattle, creeping thing, beast, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. You see the repetition there? We're supposed to get it. We're supposed to understand God is telling us something according to its kind. No mutations, no millions of years, no billions of changes, no random chance after its kind. That's what the Bible teaches. No, you can either believe that or not. You can either believe that or not, period. And really, I mean, that's what it is. If you want to add to the Bible, that, you, that you're doing it. Just remember, you're doing it. You're becoming the authority over the Word of God, and you're adding to the Bible. That's, that's what you have to do. And again, I don't believe this is as much faith as it is history. Not a lot of science here for us. So... God makes the birds and the sea creatures, and then he creates land animals of all these different types, uh, infinite variety. The animal kingdom, when you think about it, it's magnificent. It's awesome. Now, in chapter 2, we're going to get kind of the story of how the animals were named by Adam. It's another beautiful story in, in the book of Genesis that's coming up in a few months, weeks, I should say, weeks. We'll get there, chapter 2. So... This is really interesting to me when I look at this and I think about the variety of the animal kingdom and I think about God and his design and how, just frankly, how beautiful, how colorful, how, how large and small. I mean, there are certain animals that, that just strike you when you're growing up. June bugs for me. I used to tie a little string to a leg of a June bug and fly it like a kite. Did you ever do that? I let it go, you know, but they're big, they're big, you know, they, they freak out the girls, so you tie a thing out, you chase, I, I had three sisters, I did all these things to chase my sisters around the house, <laughs> really did that, but, but animals, <clears throat> centipedes, all their little legs, and they go around, snakes, and how they crawl, all the variety, think about the variety that God has made in all these different land animals here, and I, I think God has a sense of humor, 
Look at this picture behind me. <laughs> Giraffe. I saw a real one in Africa. That was awesome. Just like that. And it was, see how the trees are smaller? The trees are, in Africa, they're pretty low. They're, you know, maybe 10, 12 feet high. And then there's this giraffe head that's way up above. It's like, it, you know, you don't have to look too far to find one. I mean, they're just there. And then there's, what is this on the side? The platypus. What an interesting creature. And they're really only found in Australia on the East Coast. They're not on the West Coast. I've been to the West Coast six times. You don't see platypuses there. They're on the East Coast. The duck-billed platypus down in New Zealand. And then peacocks. What a magnificent animal. Look at the variety there. Isn't that awesome? The color, the texture, the, the design. They don't change. The platypus was one that, when I was growing up in school, the scientists said, see, it's, see how it, it was kind of a duck and kind of a mammal. It's marsupial, you know, all the different things they throw at you at school, remember? But they couldn't figure it out. There's never a change in kind. They still lay eggs, and they're mammals, and they still reproduce after their own kind. There's no mutations. There's no mutations in the fossil record. But you have these weird animals. God's humor, his joy, his creative fiat there is displayed in all the different animals. Now, here in the verse, real quick, it says here that there's three categories of land animals. That's my next point. Three categories of land animals. In verse 24, you see them, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth. See the three there in verse 24? So the first one's cattle. The first one that we have here in the scriptures is cattle. Cattle are animals that are tame. They're domesticated. They're used by man to do different things. Pull a plow. You ride a horse. You milk a cow. You know, you, they're, they're domesticated. They don't run. They're not, they're, they still have a fly, fight or flight, but they're domesticated. You can, you can, you can have a pet cow or a pet pot-bellied pig. Or if you like pigs, you can have pet pigs. In the Philippines when I was there, um, they, a lot of people have pigs because you can feed them anything. They eat whatever. They're like garbage disposals. And, and so a lot of people had pigs. And they were right in their houses, these pigs. Interesting. But they, you know, and then they use them for the wedding feast. We had a wedding when I was there, and they, they had their pet pig, and then little Barry was the pig of choice. You know, they put them on a spit, you know, and we all went over there and had a piece of, it was good. It was really good. <laughs> Cattle. So God's categorizing his animals here. That's what I'm trying to point out. So you have all these different animals. Creeping things is the next one. Remus. Remus in the Hebrew. So creeping things. Snakes, lizards, worms, creeping things. Insects. My daughter's favorite, spiders. Somebody say, ooh. I love the way women say, ew, they do that. Now, you can also include other animals. The word remus here has to do with animals with short legs and their bellies drag on the ground or real low. Like That would include varmints, uh, mice, moles, um, rats. So creeping things are all, all there. So you have cattle domesticated, then you have creeping things. That's what that is. In fact, in Leviticus, here's a good description I found in Leviticus. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and large lizard after its kind. The Jews were forbid to eat those things. Don't eat those things. Remember, it was, and we're going to be there next week. Can't wait to get there. Peter's 
on the roof of the home of the tanner. He spent a lot of time at the tanner's house. And he's at the home there up in Joppa. And uh, we're going to be, in, that's our first night, Joppa, Mike. That's where we spend the first night we're in Joppa, where Jonah left, you know, by boat. Peter's on a rooftop in Joppa, and he sees a great big sheet. What was on the sheet? Creeping things. And he says, I'm a good Jew. I would never eat that stuff. I am too good to eat that. We don't eat that stuff. I'm not eating it. And remember, the voice from heavens came and said, what? Don't call unclean the things that I've called clean. In other words, these are, he was, God was showing him that Gentiles were going to be brought into the church. It was going to be Jew and Gentile together. So you need to go to Cornelius' house down in, in Caesarea, which we're going to be there on our first day, Caesarea, Cornelius. And Cornelius got saved. He was the first Gentile to get saved. Peter went into his house. Jews never went to Gentiles' house. He went to his house because he saw the vision of the creeping things, and God says, stop it and minister, and he did. So creeping things. The third category is beasts of the earth there in verse 24. That would be all the other four-legged animals, which are untamed, lions, tigers. Thank you. Just wondering if you guys are awake. Coyotes, wolves, all the animals that run around, they're afraid, deer, buffalo, rhinos, hippos, all that stuff, non-domesticated animals. So we're talking about all these mammals that roam the earth. They just roam there. We have in the mountain, we have tons. Of, we have deer and wild. Uh, we have uh, lots of coyotes. We have raccoons and skunks, lots of skunks. Last night, there was a skunk by my house. Um, it's fun to see wildlife. It's wonderful. And we have all those animals there. That's what he's talking about, the beasts of the earth, the domestic ones, cattle, the non-domestic ones, the ones we just described. That, those are the categories there. And in verse 24, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth. So why am I making a big deal about this? Because that's what the Scripture says. I, I want to get all of this. I think it's important. But here's the important thing. Look at verse 25. We get kind of the reverse order. First, we get cattle, creeping things, beasts. And now in verse 25, we get beasts of the earth, cattle after its kind, and creeping things on the earth. And God saw that it was good. Why? Why do we do that? Here's what I think. So that somebody, the TE, the theistic evolution, couldn't come and say, see, here's what it is, Pastor Lee. See, in verse 24, cattle. And from the cattle, you got something else. And from the creeping thing, you got something else. Because in verse 25, he switches the order. So I'm just going to say that that's my reason that, that really helps us to understand that God created everything the way he wanted it to. And then he said, it is good or it is finished. It's just what I want it to be. It didn't evolve. It just became what I wanted it to be, God said. There wasn't any specific order of progressing. There wasn't any evolution, no struggle for existence, no survival of the fittest. God created all of these animals on day five, the birds, just as you see them now, the dinosaurs that are extinct, and we see bones in the fossil record, and the fish. The, uh, do you fish? Have you ever been fishing? We, uh, we take a trip. Esther and I have been on a trip with some friends from church in their boat out of, um, we went out of, um, where do we go out of? Uh, no, Dana Point. We went out of Dana Point, and we went straight out to Santa, San Clemente Island. 
It's 50 miles just by boat. It's like three hours. Just go, go, go. When you get out there, you see whales, and you see bait balls and fish and birds diving, and you go to the place, and you fish and try to catch tuna. So we, we did that and caught tuna. A lot of fun. But the ocean's teeming with fish, just right off our shore here in the Pacific Ocean, full of fish. And they're procreating. Like God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. That just happens because God said so. The variety, the, the, the color, the beauty of God's creation, fish, seabirds, animals on the planet. We know and serve an awesome God. He's awesome. I love this. I love this study. Let's pray. Father, I so thank you for the the text of scripture that you're showing us. And I'm so grateful that you're allowing us, Lord, to go slow enough to understand some of it. I admit, Lord, I don't understand at all. But how grateful I am that you gave us this historical record of the creation account. And Lord, it just makes me love you so much more. Lord Jesus, you were there. The word tells us that you created Father, we're so grateful for your vast and beautiful creation. We live in it. We love it. Lord, help us to be stewards of, of the earth and be, treat it right. Help us, Lord, to understand that you created it all for, our, for your pleasure, for our pleasure, for our use. And Lord, I, I just thank you tonight as we conclude this portion of our study and move into next time the creation of man. Lord, I pray that we would just come to your word each week and that we would receive gladly your word the way it's written and that we'd walk away from here, Lord, with just hearts filled with faith. Father, just do a new refreshing work. Cause our mind to wonder again and to worship you. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.